Welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. This week we are in a series called, What's the Point? Why bother with church? Simply put, Jesus is excited about building his church and God's people continue to be the light of the world. What we do and how we are different from the world makes the church essential to a society that is slipping further away from God. Listen to this talk and see how we are called to make a difference in this world. Well, good morning. When I was a student at Bible College, um, living in downtown Chicago, I had an occasion one Sunday evening to go to a worship service at a church that was nearby. And so I don't remember why I was going to this particular church that evening, but I do remember basically what I was wearing that evening, and I remember how I felt at that church as I was sitting there. Now, back then, this was the late 1970s, probably before some of you were born. It was the early 80s, and back then, people tended to wear suits on Sunday morning. And then they'd usually have a Sunday evening service, but usually the dress on Sunday evening was more casual. So you'd wear something like what I'm wearing here, some dress slacks and a dress shirt or whatever, but it was a little bit less casual. But on this occasion, since I had never been to this church before, I thought I'm going to dress up just a little bit. So I decided to wear a suit jacket. It wasn't a, a matching suit, but it was a nice suit jacket, suit shirt and pants, polished shoes. I'm sure I was wearing a tie. And, uh, and then I walked into this service and I sat in the back and I immediately became a little bit self-conscious. Now, something else that's important to realize is that back then, I did not have a goatee. I had a mustache, but not a goatee. And my hair was short, kind of like it is now, but in the back, the hair extended just a tiny bit above the collar in the back. Now, some of you about now are saying, why on earth is he giving us all these unnecessary details, these irrelevant details? Well, it's because at this church, they weren't irrelevant. I was, I was embarrassed as I sat there because I began to look around. First of all, the place was completely full, which is interesting on a Sunday evening, but I realized pretty quickly that this was the kind of church that you, you go Sunday evening. It's not like it's a choice. You're expected to go. But I looked around, and what I noticed, why I was embarrassed was a couple things. Number one, I noticed literally everybody in the, the church, all the guys, were wearing three-piece suits. I don't mean some, I don't mean most. Everybody that I saw that was age four or older, all the guys were wearing three-piece suits. Some of you don't even know what a three-piece suit is, so here's a picture of one. It's basically a suit ensemble that's got an extra vest going for it there. Uh, and so, but I wasn't dressed like that, and I certainly wouldn't have done the brown shoes. I, I mean, I would today. But at that church, there were no brown shoes. At that church, there was no facial hair. Not a single guy had a mustache or a beard or sideburns. Every single one of the guys had a similar haircut where no one had hair that was touching the collar in the back, lest it be a little bit too long. This was a church that had all of these rules and 
You know, I sat there, and I'd been a Christian for years. I, I put my faith in Christ when I was five years old. I think at the age of five, I understood that I sin against God. I realized that I could not save myself. I needed a Savior. And I put my trust in Jesus Christ. I became a child of God. And as illustrated through the baptisms here, I identified myself with Christ who died, was buried, and then, re- and then raised again for me. But now I was in Bible college. This was at least a dozen years later. I had been a Christian for a long time. And yet as I sat in that seat, it was an odd feeling because as I sat there, I thought, I'm such, I'm just, I felt like a, such a sinful person. You know, I was still dressed in my suit, but I felt just so sinful, like almost like somebody was going to come over and say, do you need to find Jesus? Because you don't have a vest. That's honestly how it felt. I, I wondered what it would be like if, if somebody walked in that was completely unchurched and they made the mistake of walking through the doors there. It's like, oh, we, we, got, we got one here, you know. I wondered how on earth did the church get to the point where this is what mattered the most. I'm not saying it's wrong to dress up for church. That's wonderful, you know, if, you're, if your heart is to honor God and this and that. But how did it get to a point where it was all about rules and things? Now, I would, contest, or I would make the argument here today that the, the, the rules get in the way of relationship. The rules can get in the way. And a lot of churches are about rules, lots of rules. So every Sunday, it's going to be all the bad things you're doing or stop doing these things and start doing these things. And it's just preaching all the rules. Is that what the Christian life is about? When Jesus walked the earth for about three and a half years, there were a few things that made him mad. One thing that made him mad was when he saw a lack of compassion toward people who were needy or weak, children, you know, widows and things like that, or people that needed to be healed. He just was, his heart was really angered when the religious leaders would see someone who could be helped and healed by Jesus, but they got more hung up on the fact he was healing on the Sabbath than caring about the fact that the person needed to be healed. The love went out the window somehow. I don't, I don't know how that happened, you know. Uh, but it did, and it does these days. The other thing that made Jesus angry was all the extra biblical rules that became a substitute for what it's really about. And so Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, he said, you know, you guys not only are not entering into the kingdom of heaven yourselves, but you're blocking the entrance. You're making it hard for others to get in. You, you put burdens on everybody's back that you yourself don't even want to carry. Now, I can relate somewhat to the culture of the church I described in my introduction. I can relate to that. I grew up in a church that had a fair number of rules, and I even understand why. Because I think there's just, it was the really, I think, the, uh, the honest heart of most of the people in the church I grew up in. The honest heart was just, you know, as Christians, we need to live differently than the world does. And so the church would specify what that would look like, you know, what kind of music you could listen to, what it means to dress as a Christian. They'd come up with all these extra rules, but is this really what it's about? And I think we always get into trouble when we confuse God's commands with preferences or just principles that are taught in the Bible. God's commands are something different, but oftentimes these principles these preferences become the rules. Now, my takeaway today is this, that Christianity is about a relationship with Christ. That's what it's about, Jesus. 
about a relationship with Christ. It's not about these other things. When people think of what a Christian is, oftentimes, especially if they don't know Christ, they have certain ideas. Well, a Christian is the person who has to say no to the five things they love the most so that they could start doing the five things they hate the most, like going to church and all these other things. I mean, they think it's about rules, and it's not about rules. That's, that's not what it's about at all. It's about a relationship with Christ. Now, this series we're doing, it's, we're titling it, What's the Point? But it's a series about this wonderful creation of Jesus is called the church. Jesus said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Despite its flaws, which the church, generally speaking, has flaws, but despite its flaws, I would argue that for the last 2,000 years, Jesus himself has been working primarily on one thing, the church. He loves the church. He's building the church. He's at operation working within the church. But what I want us to understand is ultimately what the church is about is Jesus. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, part of the reason I told you last week I wanted to do this series is to maybe highlight some of the areas in which as a church, a local church, we're a little bit different. I don't mean better, but different than some churches in town. And so the first thing I mentioned last week, and I spent some time talking about it, is that the Bible is the Word of God. We believe it's authoritative, and I give you reasons why. I am convinced that the Bible is God's Word. And we can learn from it and grow from it, and it is correct and it's right, and I explained why last week. Today I want to focus on that Christianity or what the, our church is about. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship. We want to focus you on developing a love relationship with Jesus from whom everything will flow, as we'll see in a minute. Uh, third, our mission is the Great Commission. We believe that we have an ob- obligation outside our doors to introduce people to the Savior of the world. And churches that lose their outward mission become ingrown. They become stagnant like a pond that doesn't have outlets. We need to be involved in reaching people for Christ. And then finally, I made the point or one of the distinctives about the churches that we want to be um, a blessing in the community. We want to recapture the role that the church in our church, in our history for 200 years plus, the church has had a central role in the community, but more and more it's being set to the side. But I think the church can make a difference as we view ourselves as one serving the community. And so these are the things we've been talking about. But today's main takeaway is Christianity is about a relationship with Christ. Now, Jesus referred to it in these terms all over. One example is John 10, 14, where Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. That's it. You know, what does it mean to be a Christian? It's that you know him and he knows you, that you are one of his sheep. That's the thing that makes a difference. You know, he knows you, you know him. It's a, it's a relationship. It's, it's communicating with one another. That's, that's what it's about. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. We listen to him. He listens to us as we pray. A few verses later in John 10, 27, Jesus went on to say, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, this is what it is to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who hears the voice of Christ. 
You know, one of the questions you can ask yourself is, do I hear when Christ is speaking to me? Because he said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. They, they listen. And this is the group that has eternal life. And, and it's eternal too. The eternal life is eternal. But it's about a relationship. Now, when we don't get this right, when Christianity becomes about rules, a lot of new problems are introduced. For example, just the question, who's the one that sets the rules? Who determines which rules are right and which are wrong if you step away from what the Bible says? And frankly, oftentimes the person who establishes the rules is somebody that's kind of power hungry, unfortunately. Second, if people focus on rules, well, the rules don't lead to righteousness. What they lead to is self-righteousness. That was the problem of the Pharisees. They thought they, you know, they checked everything off. They're very self-righteous, but they were not righteous themselves because rules actually have an interesting effect, Paul said. Rules tend to make us rebellious. We have a sin nature, so the moment you tell me don't eat the cookie, that's all I want to do. Rules have the opposite effect. It, It tends to appeal to our sin nature, so it's not the path of righteousness. Christ is. Third problem with rules is it leads to pride and judgmentalism. People are judgmental. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but have you felt that before? You're being judged, evaluated on all these things? That's not what it's about. Who am I to judge you? Paul wrote, you know, you belong to Christ. I'm not your master. And then the final problem I see with rules is that it replaces this relationship with what I call a system of moralism. Moralism is checking off all these things and feeling like you're a good Christian if you're doing all these things on this side and you're avoiding the things on this side. But that's like moralism. It's, that, that replaces just the sincerity of a relationship with Jesus Christ from whom everything flows. You can't do both systems. It's almost like you can't have law and grace. Grace is undeserved kindness God extends to you, but you can't earn it. The moment you get into the earning realm of earning your salvation, you forfeit the grace. I'm saying the same thing is true as we live out our Christian lives. It's about grace. It's not about performing. Now, the Apostle Paul talked a lot about this, and there are a lot of verses, and as, you, as I read various verses, listen to just how it provides a picture of what the Christian life is about. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 Paul said, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. Do you notice how Christ-centric all of this is? You know, as you receive Christ Jesus, you received the, the risen Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You did so by faith. Now he says, what I want you to do is walk in step with him, being grounded in him. Put your roots deeply into Jesus. And when you do that, by the way, it'll result in this gratitude. You see, you said yes to Jesus Christ. Most of us have said, we said yes to Jesus Christ. And he imparted to us this thing called eternal life. But I'm saying that every day now, we say yes to Jesus and he imparts to us spiritual life kind of life and that we need to live differently than, than we were before. Our lives begin to change. And so the question before us is, how deeply am I connected to Christ? Because that's where it comes from. 
And we'll get an illustration of this in a minute. But Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.1, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Don't be strong in your own strength. Don't be strong in your own grace. If you're gonna be strong in Samaria, be strong in the grace that he gives you because it's his grace that allows us to live in this life differently than the world. It's not something we crank out. It's the life of Christ in and through us. And this is hard for us to, to think through because we're so used to doing what we think we should do to get right with God instead of just resting in Christ and let him do things through us. We think it's about us. It's not. It's about Jesus. Now, when we're walking in fellowship with Christ, things are going to happen. Number one is we'll grow and we'll change because we become more like Christ. In fact, Paul said that. The more you look at Christ, you're going to be conformed to his image. And so we'll begin to change. We'll begin to grow if we're connected to Christ. You will not in your own strength, but if you're connected to Christ, you'll be able to face difficult circumstances because he's always with you. I don't know how people who don't know Jesus Christ face difficult circumstances but boy, with Christ, it makes all the difference in the world. If we are in step with Christ and holding on to him, if we're walking in step with him, we won't, we won't give in to sin and temptation. Apostle Paul wrote, if you walk in the spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And so it's, it's walking in fellowship with the spirit of Christ that gives you victory over sin in your lives. And it's walking in step with Jesus that allows us to love others well because there's a supernatural love that we need to have for people that we just don't have. It's not in, in our flesh, but Jesus, yes, he loves in the right way and as we're connected with Christ. And so Paul wrote in Ephesians 3 that when Jesus is at home in your heart, because you're the temple of God, if you know Jesus, if Jesus is at home in your life, you will experience, along with other believers, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of God. You want to know what it is to experience his love? It's being in step with Jesus, who is love. God is love. But there's an illustration that, that uh, Jesus used that I think is the best illustration that at least gives us a picture of the way this thing's supposed to be. You know, because we're asking the question, okay, if the, if, the, if the Christian life is about a relationship with Jesus, well, what does that relationship look like? And the example Jesus gave is found in John 15, and I know some of you have heard me talk about this passage. I don't think we could over-talk about it because it is the key. John 15 is the key. But let me set the context for what we're going to talk about briefly here. Uh, John 15 uh, takes place right after Jesus had the Last Supper, what we call the Last Supper with his disciples. Uh, after they ate their meal, Jesus dismissed Judas, and then he had a discussion with the 11 that were left. And he became explicitly clear that he was going to be leaving them. He said, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm returning to my father. That wasn't good news for the disciples. And they became concerned about it. They became saddened by it. The text says they were sad by the news. He was leaving them. Now, this, this didn't make sense to them because they thought, wait a minute, we've been following you for three and a half years. I thought we were going to rule with you. You were setting up a kingdom, and now you're telling us you're leaving. And they wondered, what do we do now? I mean, how do we go forward with you gone? And John 14, 15, and 16 is answering that question. It's the period of time in which we're living in today. 
Ever since Jesus went to heaven, we're in this period of time where that's the question, what are we to be doing? If you went up to heaven, how are we to do it now? Jesus began to answer the question in John 14. In verse 16, he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. So I'm going to go up to heaven, but I'm going to ask the Father to give you another counselor. The Greek word there, by the way, means another of the same kind. I'm going to send someone just like me, and this person will be with you always. That's the key. I'm sending. If I go... I'm going to be able to send the Spirit, and He's going to be with you always. And it's His Spirit. It's the Spirit of Christ. And Jesus called this person a counselor. My study Bible has a note by the word counselor. It refers to someone called alongside to help, to counsel, or protect. If you're a Christian, you are the temple of God. The Spirit of Christ actually lives inside of you. And this is what He's doing. He's He's someone who's called alongside to help you, to counsel you, protect you, encourage you, lead you, strengthen you. This is remarkable what God has given us. He goes on to say, Jesus went on to say in verse 17 of John 14, he's the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you, I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. That's why I'm saying it's the Spirit of Christ. I'm not going to leave you alone. I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm leaving physically, but I'm actually coming to you in a better way, that I'll be with you always. Now, I think that's remarkable. If we as Christians really understood what it means to have the, the Spirit of the living God living inside of us, empowering us, changing us, all the work because we're the temple of God, I think would change things because we're not what we were before Jesus, before we met Jesus. You put your faith in Christ, the Spirit of Christ comes to actually live inside of you. And then Jesus illustrated what this would look like in John 15, 5 through 8. It's the illustration of the vine and branches. Beginning in verse 5, John 15, I am the vine, Jesus said, you're the branches. The one who remains in me or remains in fellowship with me, stays attached to me, abides in me, and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. This is what I'm saying. You can't, you can't live out the Christian life apart from Jesus. You can't produce anything of spiritual significance apart from Jesus. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm the vine, your branches and all we're asked to do is you stay connected to me, I'll be connected to you. And when that happens, you're going to have fruit in your life. Now, I'll explain in a minute what the fruit is, but your life is going to begin to produce fruit, just like a branch produces fruit because it's connected to the vine. He goes on to say in verse 6 of John 15, if anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. <clears throat> they gather them, the workers gather these branches, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, let me quickly mention that this is not saying that if you as a Christian get disconnected from Christ relationally or you're not having fellowship with Christ, that what's going to happen is you're going to face eternal judgment. You're going to be thrown into fire. That's not what this is saying at all. Jesus' listeners understood exactly the point he was making, and all of us should really grasp the point that he's making, which is simply 
that if a branch does get separated from the vine, what happens to it? I mean, it's just, you know what happens. What happens if a branch breaks off from a vine? Well, it dries up. It gets all kind of dry. Can it produce fruit anymore? No. It's not getting the nourishment it needs. It can't produce any fruit. It's by itself. And so Jesus is talking here about a Christian's ability to be fruitful, and they're saying you cease to be fruitful when you disconnect with Christ. Now, some of you, you're saying my spiritual relationship with Christ is really dry. This might be an indication. You're kind of, you're not abiding in him. You're not connected with him properly. So Christ lives in us, but we're doing our thing, and Christ is doing his thing. But when we stay connected with him, if you remain in me, again, verse 7 of John 15, if you remain in me, my words remain, and you ask whatever you want, it'll be done for you. My Father's glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Christian life is not about working harder. It's not about striving. It's not about checking boxes. It is about staying connected with Christ. Have you ever seen a, a grape branch striving to produce the grapes? Have you ever seen it like flexing its muscles and popping out those grapes? I mean, it, branch really works hard to do that, doesn't it? Obviously not. It's connected. The life, the life of the branch, it flows from the vine and to the fruit, and it's Christ is, is the branch. So here's a picture you've seen, I'm sure, pictures like this before of the grapes and all these beautiful picture of these wonderful grapes that like some of those. Uh, and, and that's a lot of fruit. And by this is God, the Father, glorified that you bear a lot of fruit, not just a little bit. And the basis of it is that the fruit comes from the branches, but the branches are attached to something else, which you can't see how it's rooted. But we're told to be rooted and built up in Christ, just like we're connected to Jesus Christ relationally. Now, what is the kind of fruit that produces in our lives? Well, it can be many things. I would define the fruit of our lives as Christians to be anything that flows out of our relationship with Christ. Anything that we do that's because of our connection with Christ, that's fruit, and so it can take many forms. In Galatians, we read that the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's called the fruit of the Spirit. That's the evidence that the Spirit of God actually lives in you, that you have love, joy, peace, patience. And when you're connected to Christ properly, the Spirit of Christ, these things will be part of your life. And then when you don't see that, I don't have love, joy, peace, patience, it should be a red flag to say I'm not connected to Christ the way I should be. Because the evidence that I'm connected properly are those things. But fruit can be other things. I think whenever we extend forgiveness to somebody else because we've been forgiven by Christ, that's fruit. Based on the fact he's forgiven us, we extend forgiveness to somebody else, which is why Jesus said if you don't forgive, there's a problem. Because our ability to forgive other people is directly connected to being connected to Christ who forgave us. But forgiveness can be fruit. Third, victory over sin, as I touched on earlier. When we say no to sin and yes to Jesus because we love him, that's fruit. It's the evidence that you really know Christ because why on earth would you say no to something here that you'd want to do except you have faith? 
and you believe in Christ and you say, you know, I love you, Christ. And so out of faith, you act and you say, I'm going to say no to this thing because I love Christ. Or whenever you lead someone to faith in Christ, that's fruit. Growing up, that was one of the main fruit areas at the church I grew up is that when people put their faith in Christ, it's like fruit. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus said, so go reap. And there's a lot of fruit. So souls of people is that as well. But the key, again, is being connected to the source of it. Jesus is the source of eternal life. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But he's also the source of the abiding life we need to live the Christian life. So here would be a summary of all I'm saying, and then let me wrap this up. The summary would be this. The Christian life is not about following rules or cranking out good deeds in our own efforts. It's about allowing Christ's life to flow through us as we stay connected to him. Let me read that again. The Christian life, it's not about following rules. It's not about cranking out good deeds in our own effort. It's about allowing Christ's life to flow through us as we stay connected to him. Now, the Apostle Paul understood this better than anyone, I think, who's ever lived apart from Christ. In Philippians 4, 13, he put it this way, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul was basically saying, I can face anything. I can face anything. When he says I can do everything, it's really the idea is I can face anything through him who's constantly strengthening me. He's given me the strength that I need to do this. It's about Christ living in and through us. Christian life is not even about living for Christ. It's about Christ living through you. There's just a difference. The difference is the focus. Is the focus on you or is the focus on Jesus? I'm just saying when we focus on Christ and we say, I'm going to love you, I'm going to listen to you, I'm going to do what you want. When it's about Christ, the good things come out of it. But otherwise it becomes kind of a self-moralism again where we're checking off things. That's not what it's supposed to be about. It's about a relationship, not rules. And our prayer should be, Christ lived through me. So Paul said this, and this summarizes it well as well, Galatians 2.19. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Now, he's talking about where, before he knew Jesus. When he found Jesus, he said, I died to that old person. The old person that didn't know Jesus, that's a different person and another life. I've been crucified with Christ, that old me, and I no longer live. That, that old me is, doesn't live anymore, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Just like you are are delivered from your sin or saved or given eternal life by faith and faith alone, you can't crank it out, you can't earn eternal life. It's a free gift by faith in Christ. The same thing is exactly true in how we live the Christian life. Faith saves us, but it sustains us. And every day we put our trust in Christ who lives within us. So let me give you two applications depending on where you are. Some of you here today perhaps have never come to a point in your life where you've put your trust in Christ, and that'd be the starting point, to say yes to Jesus, to recognize you have a sin problem you can't fix. You can't, you can't crank out good, goodness. Just like after a person's a Christian, you don't crank out goodness. We stop and acknowledge we sin. We can't fix it. God sent his son to fix it, to take upon himself the full penalty for everything you ever did wrong. The justice of God was poured out on Jesus for the sins you and I committed, and he died. But he rose from the dead, 
The payment he made was accepted by God, paid in full, your debt. But it requires faith on your part. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him will not perish, will not suffer eternal ruin, but instead will receive eternal life. Have you put your trust in the risen Christ? If you're a Christian here already today, my encouragement is to Put your trust in Christ day by day, moment by moment. Develop the relationship with Christ. And some of the practical ways you do it, one is, as I've talked about many times, spend time in God's Word, the Bible, because it's called the sword of the Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit of Christ. When you read God's Word, God's Spirit within you speaks to you and says, this is right and do this or whatever. So he leads us through his Word. It's also about prayer. Relationships are about communication. So if you go through a whole day and you haven't talked to Jesus, you're not abiding in Christ. It's, it's about prayer. I think it is about uh, being with God's people. I think that makes a huge difference. As Paul said, together, when Christ is at in a home in our midst, we'll experience his love, the breadth, length, height, and depth. But we need other people. And I need other people to, to speak because God speaks through you to me. And I have to listen. And finally, I would just suggest that we uh, get a little bit better about listening to his spirit because as Christians, when we go through our day, God's spirit does speak to us. We know what he's saying usually, but we then have to decide, am I going to listen to what you're saying or do what I want to do? And I want to suggest that to the degree you begin listening to his spirit and you know, the spirit says to you, for example, go apologize to this person, and you say, okay, I don't want to do it, but I know your spirit is leading me. When we respond to God's spirit like that, we, our hearing gets better. But when we keep saying no to the spirit, our, our hearing becomes dull. We, we, he's speaking to us, we're just not hearing it. So I'm suggesting we train ourselves to listen to the spirit of God who lives within us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the fact that you've not left us alone that you've given us, O Lord, your spirit, the spirit of Christ who raised Christ from the dead is at work within us. The very power that raised the Son of God from death dwells within your people. I recognize, Lord, that should make such a big difference and that that's really what it's about. It's about Jesus. Help us, O Lord, to understand this. Help us, O Lord, to walk in step with your Son, the Lord Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.